Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics Show Pubcast. This is the second half of our conversation with the Jewish Chronicles' Josh Kaplan, in which we move on to discuss the situation in Israel. While I understand calls for a ceasefire at this stage, I do not believe that it is the correct position now for two reasons. One, because a ceasefire always freezes any conflict in the state where it currently lies. And as we speak, that would leave Hamas with the infrastructure and the capability to carry out the sort of attack we saw on October the 7th. Attacks that are still ongoing. Hostages who should be released still held. Hamas would be emboldened and start preparing for future violence immediately. And it is this context which explains my second reason, which is that our current calls for pauses in the fighting for clear and specific humanitarian purposes, and which must start immediately, is right in practice as well as principle. In fact, it is, at this moment, the only credible approach that has any chance of achieving what we all want to see in Gaza, the urgent alleviation of Palestinian suffering, aid distributed quickly, space to get hostages out. That is why is also the position shared by our major allies in the US and the EU. And I urge all parties (coughs) To heed its call. Ed, another speech uh, yesterday, which 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 you you had, you had the pleasure of of catching. Um, Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer trying to trying to face down the rebellion that's happening inside the Labour Party as as relates to the situation in Gaza right now. Um, what did you make of Keir Starmer's speech? We thought it was he's just doubling down. He's standing down the potential rebels. I suppose he's. 
it's quite an interesting speech because he kind of has this is kind of him setting out what would what will be Britain's foreign policy come next November, say. So I think you have to keep that in mind. He's got to lock this off. They'd really the Americans, etc. Um yeah, it's kind of a bit it's difficult, isn't it, for him? Because he's got he's got there's so much feeling about it. You have opposition at every level outside the outside, outside the literal the hall where he gave it. Right, the protest, oh, yeah, protesters, protesters out at the back door waiting for him. Yeah. Um, so there's so there's potential rebellion on the front bench, within the back bench, within Labour councillors resigning, um, the, within the Labour Party at large. There's members opposing this, and yeah, what what is it? What did you make of it, Josh? Um, Kind of on a personal level, I, I kind of agree with it. I think it's a relatively sensible position. I think it walks a careful line where he's saying, look, you know, humanitarian aid should come in. But at the same time, um, I think he kind of maybe correctly realizes that like a ceasefire doesn't really solve anything, given that it would probably be a fairly unilateral <clears throat> ceasefire. Um, I don't think anybody, I think, you know, Hamas, there's a guy on um, some Arabic TV station clips on Twitter where he was basically saying they wouldn't respect the ceasefire. They would just try and do October 7th, October 8th, October, whatever, until it, until Israel was destroyed. Um, so I think, he, yeah, like you said, he's, he's got to walk this line on it. Uh, I think maybe pressure will grow in the party for him to, to, him to change his tack. But I think he's probably betting on the fact that in a couple of weeks, this issue will probably lose a bit of saliency to the average British voter. And people will go back to talking about the economy or house prices or anything else. Um, so I imagine he's thinking he can just kind of ride it out. How much do you think of what's going on in the Labour Party right now is Keir Starmer absolutely petrified of being accused of anti-Semitism, either personally or with anti-Semitism being endemic in the Labour Party? And... Him having to adopt... Well, actually, I don't know I don't know about his personal politics on this issue, so I can't speak to them. But let's say, for the sake of argument, the politics more broadly of the Labour Party, which you would describe as sympathetic to the Palestinian cause, and broadly, certainly historically, I mean, last Labour leader, Jeremy Corbyn, right? Um, certainly not kind of an advocate for Israel or the way that Israel is currently behaving in Gaza. How much of this do you think is Keir being absolutely terrified of that sort of anti-Semitism coming back, narrative coming back? Do you think he's being sort of calculated in the way he deals with this? What's your, what's your view of his, his approach to the crisis so far? Yeah, so I think basically everything he's done since he got elected as Labour leader is to show that he's different from Jeremy Corbyn, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything, you know, clean house of people, prescribed a bunch mm -hmm. of organisations, you know, made it very, very clear that if you're even a whiff of anti-Semitism, you're gone, you're boom, you're out of the party. Uh, I think it's much more about differentiating himself from Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, than it is about, you know, his personal politics on it. I mean, having said that, he's got a Jewish wife who's got family in Israel. I'm sure there's a level of personal sympathy there. But I think it's far more about showing, hey, look, I'm not that guy. Um, and I think to your average British voter who maybe, you know, anti-Semitism is definitely not on the top 10 list of, you know, issues that they give a shit about. I think it's much more about showing that he's not Jeremy Corbyn and he doesn't kind of indulge what he would describe as kind of like more fringy uh, foreign policy ideas. I guess there's also this this question of he's trying to he's trying to win a general election, right? And he is, I think, quite rightly, and you could probably say quite cynically also, made the calculation that those kind of um, left, the more sort of left-wing progressive types who will be upset by his, his stance on this issue, 
there's nowhere else for them to go, right? Mm -hmm. When it comes to the next general election, they're, they're not going to vote for the Conservative. They will never vote for the Conservative Party. Possibly they might vote Green, but it's not going to be enough to, to deny Labour MPs seats, possibly maybe in, uh, I think, Bristol West is one. Um, may, maybe in Brighton they won't be able to sort of, you know, contest where Caroline Lucas is standing down. So you go, well, let's just deny the sort of the press, the Tories, the easy victory of saying... Like message discipline, right? Yeah. And I think you've seen it in America as well, where a load of progressives um, have said that they wouldn't vote for Biden anymore. They think this is like a line in the sand issue. Um, and then you look at, you know, who the likely nominee is going to be, Donald Trump. And he said, you know, day one, Muslim bans back in. So it's just like, well, you know, if you care about the Palestinian cause, that's not the answer. You know, you're not going to do that. Um, so I think if you're like the sort of centrist Biden Starmer figure, you're, you feel pretty comfortable about. Who else, who else would they go to? Like fucking Cornell West. Like, with progressives in the US. Yeah. What, they would like have to, he would have to win a primary? Yeah, or do their own thing, write in candidates. I think it's more that they wouldn't turn out in like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and places where, them, where yeah. Biden needs to win. Um, but they all live in New York anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> They're all voting Democrat out there. And like, I mean, it's just such, you watch some of these progressives, right? Or, we we all did a year abroad, didn't we? In the States, didn't you do one as well? I, I lived in America. It's very, okay. very different. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, so when you're, in, when you're at university there, you are around some of the most insufferable people you'll ever meet in your life. Yeah. Right? Insane, and they absolutely are, insane. Yes, and they, are, they aren't even progressive. They are like so far on the other side of it that I'm not even, they don't quite understand the issue, but they've got a very strong view on it, right? <laughs> But they'll be like, and that's why I'm voting Democrat. And I'm like, but do, that's not there. That's that's <laughs> that's, that's basically like the British, con the Conservative Party mm. here. You mm. know, it, it's it's got nothing. You're talking about, um, I don't know, Lebanon and how upset you are about it. I'm like, these guys are bombing it. <laughs> like, you know. I had an unbelievable conversation in America where these two girls were like moaning about Trump. <laughs> As in like, look, morning sounds like I'm diminishing it. They were like upset something Trump had done, and they and they were like, and, but no, but but they, but they were but they were in sit, but they were, oh, what, they were be, they were being performatively polite yeah. about calling him the president or being like Mr. Nah. President, sir. But but they were but they were being they were being yeah, they were like respect the office, not the man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they kept saying that. And there, there was a big um, there was a big thing after he got elected where people wouldn't say his name. There were a lot of like those kind of people who mm -hmm. were like the man who occupies the Oval Office. Uh -huh. I will not speak his name. Trump. Yeah, Trump. They kind of very much um, as they always do made it about Harry Potter and they yeah. made it into a he who cannot be named kind of kind of deal. Yeah, there was also a guy who. A Republican guy I knew who it was also the day after um, the election in all the classes I was in. So I was in North Carolina, just for context for the audience who don't know that. Um, there was a, there was before each class, professors were offering people the chance to like just like talk about how people were feeling. They did that to me too. <laughs> it was I was sitting like. Like, I was really in maths 101 and oh. they were like, okay, we're, we're just going to start with like how, you know, how are you okay? Oh. You know, that was really bad. That was Millaby vibes, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Were we working to, no, I think you had gone to the States by that point. Mm. Yeah. Because in our, yeah, in our, in, in, our yeah, in our newsroom, it was like, there was a meeting and it was like, 
look, I know everyone's probably feeling pretty down right now <laughs> about what's happening. <laughs> I mean, there was like, I, I literally, I couldn't give a fuck. <laughs> there I live a... in London. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. I, well, I think they also, um, at the time, the company we worked for was split between New York and London, and they did have to have a chat with some of the British employees about mm. not doing 9-11 jokes on Slack. There was... <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> we do it on your personal phone yeah 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 take, take it off to work there was like a mass cry in front of one of the university buildings mm. as well were you there? no <laughs> I was like guess game he organised it yeah. no, I, I, don't, I don't know if this will make the edit but there was um, <laughs> Josh and I and some of our colleagues had a WhatsApp, WhatsApp group where one Christmas we decided it would be funny to do like a series of memes using like um, turning like ISIS guys into like Christmas based memes so it'd be like <laughs> so it'd be like when the guy doing the, the yeah, one Uma you know one Uma you know and they put one finger up yeah. it's like one you know one total sovereign um, yeah exactly and we'd be like when mum asks who wants more turkey and it's like the lads <laughs> <laughs> doing this <laughs> yeah anyway Sean <laughs> made some, I don't know if this will make the edit either but Sean made some great content earlier so do you know the Saddam Hussein bunker <laughs> yes <laughs> You know the diagram that like the Daily Mail did or whatever yeah. to show where Saddam Hussein lied, <laughs> where he was lying down. We'll put them in visually if this makes it in. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> Sean put, photoshopped that diagram onto like various other things like the Pope Mobile. <laughs> good fit. Yeah, where, where you can find Saddam Curious Hussein. Curious if it's the exact dimensions of Saddam Hussein. <laughs> <laughs> what conspiracy? Just asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the other things from Starmer's speech, he uh, he referenced the two-state solution, and I would I wondered what the panel's view of the two-state solution is, and whether it is actually viable given events of the last couple of weeks. Because, well, first of all, I think the, the sort of the cause of Palestinian statehood is has been set back somewhat by recent events, um, but it also appears to me that the sort of the only two. I think the only two options left appear to be either like some form of greater Israel, i.e. the sort of the far right Zionist project of expelling those people from Gaza, establishing the settlements there or Oslo. I don't I don't really see I don't see this. I'm not sure that what he's talking about here is now a possibility. And I don't know if you guys he talked see it about settlements. Way. He talked about settlements in Israel. Yeah. Um, Go on. I do. I, well, no, no, I don't have anything to add. I, ju I just think that in, in terms of the, the speech, I just felt the speech lacked clarity and lacked any vision or idea or ideas. I mean, afterwards, when journalists were asking questions like, OK, so you're in charge right now. What do you do? And he mm -hmm. was like, well, that's a very complicated question. <laughs> and, you know, obviously we've got to focus on the humanitarian aid, but I'm not in charge and it's not it's not for me to decide. And it's like, you know, if you are going to do this huge speech, you're going to, you know, organise. Th th this is the moment to really set your stall out, be a bit, I don't know, Churchill about it. If You know, they will, they will love being Churchill, don't they? <laughs> they will love pegging that. Um, why organise a huge speech if you've not got any actual policy or ideas? To me, it just seemed like he was trying to wash his or launder his reputation a little bit and try to uh, make himself, you know, appear statesmanlike without actually doing anything. And now you think, well, OK, if you were in government, would he be doing anything differently to how the Conservatives are acting? Probably not. And I think the speech he was trying to set himself as the, you know, uh, trying to put a bit of, I don't know, a wedge of difference between them. And actually, I think he proved that they are exactly the same. Mm. Was that boring? Sorry. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I'm I was listening to you. Points. 
No, I, I, I think you're right. But I mean, you know, I think him and Rishi, didn't they say that they wouldn't <coughs> go after each other on foreign policy? I think yeah. his big thing has been like, the Tories have fucked up this country, right? They have specifically fucked up this country. I think 99% of the criticism of the Tory party for the last 13 years has been on their domestic policy. I haven't really seen, I mean, obviously other than Brexit, um, <laughs> it's mostly been about how they've fucked up within these within mm. these shores. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think they probably No, I don't want same. him to go for Sunak. I don't want him to criticise the way that Sunak is approaching the, the, the conflict. It's mm. just, it, but you kind of want to, you, you want to offer some difference, right? You want to set out a stall and, you know, yeah. show what you're offering. And the, 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 the conflict that he finds himself, that's a terrible word to use there. Um, the predicament that he's in at the moment is that most of his party or a lot of his party are resigning because they don't like what he is offering, mm. He's not, he's not changed that. He's not done anything to change any minds there, right? You've still got backbenchers who are not pleased with what the Labour Party are offering. Then his point, is, is his point not, well, tough tits? Like, yeah. this is what... This but he what, didn't this, say that. No, 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 but as in he's saying he's, he's, not, he's not bending to he's those saying people's wills. Saying it. And that's, and that's, no, 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 but say it. If you think it, say it. Yeah. That's my point. Yeah. You know? Well, I think it's, you know, to go on to the, the two-state thing, I think that's the easy thing to to make it about the future, right? To make it about like, you know, we need to, everybody needs to forget about what's happening right now and invest in the, the two-state solution, which is just a word that's just, you know, everybody chucks it out. No one actually thinks about what it, what it means. Um, yeah. I think to put across what I believe like the Israelis would say in this situation is that they don't feel like they've got like a viable partner for a two-state solution. Um, on the one hand, you've got, you know, people that have, murdered uh, 1,400 people in cold blood, um, you know, in a sort of horrendous terror attack. And on the other side, you've got Mahmoud Abbas of the PA who like can't really, really run things super well. He's like really old, quite corrupt. Like the PA is kind of, you know, not serving anybody particularly well. Um, I think the, the problem is, is that right now, because of what happened on October 7th, there is nothing else the Israeli public are thinking about other than the war, uh, and secondarily getting rid of, of Netanyahu. Um, I think, you know, if you're not Jewish or you're not Israeli, it's kind of hard to, to think about how like existential it feels to be in Israel. Um, you constantly feel that you are under attack from all sides and that the world won't stand with you if, if it all goes tits up. Um, so, you know, I, I asked an Israeli journalist the other day, like, you know, does anybody care? about these massive protests in London. And the answer is like, no, right? They, they assumed the world wasn't with them. It looks like the world's not with them. They, they proceed accordingly. Uh, and I think this, the attacks on October 7th had this kind of really radicalizing effect on like ordinary Israeli people that maybe headed Netanyahu, maybe wanted to do a two-state solution. Uh, when you've seen that amount of like chaos and bloodshed, you don't want to, you're not in a negotiating headspace. Uh, I interviewed an Israeli pilot a few weeks ago who hated Netanyahu, like fucking hated him, like hated Ben Gvir, hated Smotrich, said he refused to fly for the Israeli Air Force as long as, um, as long as they were in power, like, you know, like much more aggressive condemnation of Israel than anybody else was doing, uh, you know, until, until recently. And then I spoke to him again recently and he's like, fuck that, I'm on, I'm on board, I'm, I'm flying every day for them. Um, right now I hate, I hate them all, but I, I, this, there's, a bigger, there's a bigger thing here. Uh, what is that bigger thing? Is it revenge? I don't think it's revenge. The way that he described it to me um, is that the only language that people in the Middle East that want to kill you speak, the only language they speak is violence. And if you let people get away with stuff, 
then you will just be pushed around and Hezbollah will invade and Iran will invade and Yemen will invade and everything will go to shit and there'll be, you know, no more Israel. So it's like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and defend every action of the IDF. I disagree with a lot of what they do. And, and I think it's, you know, sometimes quite hard to defend them. But if you look at the perspective of what their choices are, it's like an impossible, it's an impossible situation. So I think the perspective you've given there about particularly the history of Israel and Israel as a place where Jews would defend themselves is, is fundamentally important and one that's often overlooked. And, and I think particularly actually aspects of kind of progressives who criticize Israel's actions have a very, very short memory in terms of why Israel was created and obviously the Holocaust and then the immediate history of every single one of its Arab neighbors attacking it relentlessly um, and then having to defend themselves for their right to exist. Um, obviously, and then at the expense of the Palestinians and, and, and the Nakba, right? But you say, you say, okay, yeah, I accept all of that history. I accept that this feels existential for the Israeli people. But when half of the people that have been killed so far are women and children, you know, those aren't Egyptian, those aren't Egyptian tanks, you know, in the Sinai, those aren't Hezbollah, it's not a conflict in the Golan Heights, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a refugee camp that's, yeah. that's being, for example, yesterday, right, that's being yeah. bombed. And you find, I find myself actually in the uncomfortable position of being like, you know, I 100% support Israel's right to exist. I'm, it's, it's like one of the, one of, I think sort of an unorthodox thing I view I have for the sort of general politics <laughs> I have, to be honest with you, um, for, sort of, for it's certainly compared to a lot of other people anyway. And yet... I cannot in any way, shape or form justify the military action that they've been taking in recent weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, it kind of gets overlooked, but I think, you know, you, every, every, every life that's lost in this conflict is awful and horrible. And like, I've watched stuff from Gaza that makes me feel really uncomfortable. I've watched stuff from Israel that makes me absolutely distraught. Like every single life that's lost is awful. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, try and defend every every civilian death because you can't, you just can't defend that, right? But I think the, the the point is, is that when you're fighting an enemy that doesn't particularly have any sort of regard for like the rules of warfare or, you know, life in general, um, the argument from the Israelis um, would be that you are dealing with people that cannot take any other you know, will not listen to any other action other than violence. And, you know, if you want to believe what the Israeli Defense Force said about the refugee camp, um, and you look at the videos and see that there was, you know, quite a lot of sinkholes, the argument was that there was a Hamas terror tunnels uh, underneath and that they were using those to, to fire rockets. Um, but, you know, I, it, it's a hard, it's, you know, it's still, it's, it's hard, it's tough. It's like, it's, it's war, right? It's, it's mm. not pleasant. It's not nice. It's not good. For anybody um and i dare say there are huge parts of the israeli population that disagree with it i mean they've made themselves clear there's already protests in israel about it um that was the ironic thing right some quite a lot of the hostages from like the gaza envelope were yeah. some of the most pro-palestinian israelis yeah going and you know i've um as you as you well know sort of politically i'm i'm quite comfortable in a way that a lot of people aren't with sort of political violence and violence for political ends <laughs> Um, and I'm quite accepting of, you know, um, war for a just cause or, you know, armed struggle to, to secure liberation. 
Um, it, you know, and that extends to the Palestinians as it does to other movements that have existed in the past. There has to be this question of proportionality, doesn't there? There, ha there has to be this question, like the example I've, I've, I've referenced before, I think I mentioned it on LBC, was like the Harrods bombing, right? Um, by by Irish, Repu Irish Republicans. And they put the bomb at the door of Harrods outside and it kills four people. If the bomb is put inside Harrods, hundreds of people die. The nature of terrorism has changed. Terrorism now is much more nihilistic. And whereas before it was the limited use of extreme violence to achieve mm. political ends, now it is much more total. So, for example, Al-Qaeda fly jumbo jets into the World Trade Center and kill 3,000 people. Hamas paraglide into a fucking music festival and just shoot up the, the portaloos. And obviously the scale is different, but you have to remember the population of Israel is dramatically smaller and the scale of the people that were killed on October 7th is colossal. And that the nature of terrorism is, change, is changing. And instead of being, you know, the limited use of extreme violence for political ends, it is instead um, sort of clash of civilizations, nihilistic, total destruction. And so, for example, with Hamas, it's the stated aim, which they've never announced, as far as I'm aware, of the eradication of the Jews in, in, in Palestine, right? It's not, we will conduct a limited bombing campaign and to, bring, to, to bring BB to the table. It's, we will annihilate you. And that's, 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 a, that's a marked departure from the way violence was used politically previously. What do you mean there's no end goal? Well, no, there is an end goal, but it's it, like, yeah. it's total. Mm. It's not like a negotiated settlement. Right. It's an end goal that elicits an equally harsh response, right? Mm. You know, you can't, if someone says to you, we want to drive all the Jews out of Israel, like, what, what's the answer there? Um, you know, and I think there's this feeling among a lot of Jews, especially people I know, is that, you know, Israel is always viewed as the one place where you'd be safe to be a Jew. Um, and that's kind of really been shattered. Um, you know, my holiday to Dagestan has now been cancelled because of what's happened the other day. Um, I can't go there anymore. Um, but there was this uh, tweet. You were really looking forward to that. I know, I know. I've been saving up for, for months. But um, there's, this, there's, this, there's this tweet that I saw the other day that was basically like, the people who don't want the Jews to be in Israel, they have a really funny way of making us feel welcome everywhere else in the world. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of anxiety in the Jewish community. Some of it justified, some of it not. Um, but yeah, I, I think Israel was always held up as being this safe place and that's, uh, and that's changed. Does that logic also extend to the Palestinians? Well, the people that live in Gaza who are currently, um, well, being, being bombed out of existence. Um, does the same logic extend to them that this is, it's a tiny strip of land. It's mm -hmm. virtually the only, only place left on earth. You know, uh, the ones that are still there because Palestinians compose the largest, the la ethnically compose the largest amount of refugees globally compared to any other, any other nation. That that was the only place they have left and now they are under attack there. Sort of, where do they turn? Where do, what, what do they do now? Yeah, I mean, look, if not necessarily I agree with it, but if you're particularly hard-nosed, you would say that um, Jordan is a Palestinian state. It was founded... Um, from the British Mandate of Palestine. It's largely comprised of people that are ethnically Palestinian. Um, I'm not saying that all, all the Palestinians that are where they are now should go to Jordan. Um, but what I would say also is that even the most extreme um, Israeli politicians, even like your Ben Gvirs and your Smotriches, they have never said, as far as I'm aware, I could be wrong on this, they've never said, 
we would like to destroy all of them and drive them into the sea. They've never said that. What they've said is, you know, they'll build settlements on land that they consider historically theirs. They will put like security walls in Gaza. They've said a whole variety of things that are unfair to Palestinians and people don't agree with. But I don't think you've seen the same kind of language. Um, and I think the argument is, is that, you know, if there was a stable Palestinian state alongside a Jewish state, that would be the best outcome for everybody. That's what we all want, right? That's what I want. That's what everything else, you know, my dad grew up uh, in Israel and he grew up, you, you know, he used to be able to go to Jericho, uh, which is in the West Bank. He used to be able to go there all the time. After the first intifada, you know, where they were killing Jews that accidentally ended up there, you can't go there anymore. And so it just feels for the last like decades, they've been drifting further and further and further and further away um, from any kind of, you know, possible negotiated settlement. Uh, but to your point about like, you know, where the Palestinians should be and where they should go, I don't think they should go anywhere. I think they have, you know, as much right to live in, in the places they've always lived as, as Israelis do. Um, and I, yeah, I think they've got as much right to live in security and peace as, as anyone else. You look like you're going to say something. Well, no, then that, that actually corrects it. Cause I, well, I mean, yeah, I don't, your argument about Jordan, I mean, where do they go now? That's the... Who? The, well, the Palestinians, where do they go now if they're in Gaza? They can't, I don't, I don't want to go anywhere. But yeah, that's what I was going to say, because yeah. you answered it then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so thank you for <laughs> thank you for pointing that towards me. I think the problem, the, the problem with um, you know, the Smotriches and the Ben-Gavirs is they, they have said you know, some pretty atrocious things in the past. Not, one of them's definitely, I can't remember which one it is, because they're... I don't want to say birds of a feather, but they are similar to each other. One of them's one of them's definitely said death to, death to the Arabs um, at least once. You know, they are not they're not nice guys, um, and that's kind of my concern. Really, is that there is now this far right uh, Zionist element. It's it's not even. Uh, it's really interesting looking at the language of like um, Moshi Dayan, and you know, who previously you would have said was like a pretty hardcore kind of guy. Um, early days of the state of Israel and the shift of the language from people like him where he would sort of speak at, speak at funerals. Zizek wrote about this, I think, in the New Statesman. I can't remember the exact quote, so I just point people to go and read what he said in that. Um, and the sort of conciliatory language that, that, he, uh, that he evoked in that, that sort of, you know, the deaths of Arabs and the deaths of Jews were regrettable, but, you know, that there, was a, that, that there was sort of work towards a solution, towards the now far more kind of total language of... That those far right characters mm. and the extreme wings of that Zionist ideology that you know of, of a greater Israel of a expulsion of Palestinians from Gaza um, and the West Bank and the thing that concerns me particularly is the the growth of that politics in Israel uh, particularly among the younger generation right mm. because you're seeing as a demographic change it's something that's not happening here in Britain but it's very definitely happening in Israel and in other parts of Europe, is that actually young people are adopting this extreme, extreme politics, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that you assume those younger people are going to become, they will eventually become a majority of the electorate, at which point, you know, you sort of got this baked in, unless things change, and obviously they can do, but you then have this baked in extremist position into Israeli electoral politics, and the consequences of that could be obviously be very severe. Yeah, I, I, I look, I think that's a complicated... Uh, demographic reality, right? Like the two fastest growing groups in Israel are Arab Israelis and very, very ultra Orthodox Jews. Um, and that, you know, in 20 years time, it's going to present, well, it's kind of already presenting itself now, but like it's going to present a very interesting and probably quite bad situation. 
um, where you have the two biggest groups that are kind of slightly opposed to each other, to put it to put it quite lightly. Um, but yeah, I think this this is the this is the thing, right? Is that like Israel prior previous to October seventh. Every time Israel had been talked about this year, it was because of the sort of horrible right wing lean in its government. I think if anything comes out of this um, for the Israeli people, uh, it will be a, perhaps a awareness that you cannot have these fucking clowns anywhere near government anymore. I think it's already happening. Like mm. you see, you know, Netanyahu's last grants, last chance to get power was off the back of these idiots, and he's now come in and basically proved that he's not up to the job. And that, you know, for the last six months to a year, Israel, Israeli society has been divided over this completely bullshit thing. And the judicial reforms. The judicial reforms, you know. Um, but I think what's going to come out of it is that they need to return to adults again. Um, and they need to have serious politicians that are not nut jobs and are not, you know, you know embarrassments, right? But we'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Any more for any more? I've been prepped for that interview afterwards. Oh, fuck, yeah. It's <laughs> <So laughs> like, this really needs to be Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. It's the Politics Show podcast. And just like that, by the magic of editing, Ed Campbell has become Sean Hickey as I live and breathe. Clap him into the pavilion, lads. Here he is. How are you, Sean? Great job vision mixing the last hour and Thank 10 minutes. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And there it goes. A lot to do. That's the light, isn't the it? The light going, yeah. Yeah, you really set the studio up well today. It's good. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired. Um, as Ed said, he has um, an interview to prepare for. Uh, which is very important, so he's had to go. But we've got Sean here instead for a quick five minutes on the protest at Liverpool Street Station yesterday, Sisters Uncut, and uh, an organisation uh, of Jewish activists whose name surpasses me at this moment in time, unless anyone's got it there. No, but they were the people who were also outside Elbert. Palestine Action? But... No. Sisters Uncut and um, a group of Jewish activists organised a sit-in at uh, Liverpool Street Station uh, in support of the Palestinian cause. We can probably play a little clip. We'll probably play a little clip, can't we? Sean, you'll be able to drop that in. You'll be able to drop roll that in. Roll the clip. Yeah, roll the clip. Roll the clip, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Increasing... Increasing fervour, increasing clamour from the luxury of our Western Ivory Tower 
um, for people to sort of uh, for, for, pe for people to demand. Is that justice. how you're going to set it up? Yeah, that's how is I set that it up. Really how you set yeah, it up? I mean, look, it's, it's very easy, isn't it? It is very easy to to stage a sit-in at Liverpool Street Station. And I don't, I, I don't agree with that actually. Okay. I'm not saying it's anywhere near comparable. Yeah. Um, but I do I, I do think that there are a lot of ordinary people and not activists who are attending some of these marches, and I think they are. They are doing it in a... Oh God, it's going to sound trivial if I say it, but I mean, I think, you know, people are going with the knowledge that they might lose their jobs, either side of it, either side of the argument. Anyone who's speaking, you know, potentially speaking out, either side could lose their jobs at the moment. And I think that's quite a big thing to do. It's not, it's not just fucking, a... We get fucking paid to sit here and take a view on it, which is kind of an irony, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, I guess it is, is easy when tower. it's in... Yes, yeah, <laughs> this, this is an ivory tower. This is an ironic ivory tower. This is an ivory tower. Ivory basement. <laughs> yeah, so we are sub. We are underground. Um, look, this is... This is I'm, I'm being obviously quite glib when I talk about this. Um, so forgive me. But, but, okay, first things first. These are not hate marches, as yeah. Suella Braverman described the protest at the weekend and I saw also Brandon Lewis tweet the Liverpool Street one being like so sad can't believe my country or something and they were like, chanting mm. for a ceasefire yeah which is you know is not great I think it's a complete I think it's a willful misrepresentation of a lot of the people that are there who broadly speaking you know yes at these marches there have been you know his but career people there have been People well, no, that's really important. That's actually really important, I think, because there are people calling for jihad, and there are people who are saying, you know, there was that sign about Hamas over the weekend. I mean, those sort of people. What I don't understand is, sorry to go off. <laughs> no, but no. What, what I don't understand is why the organisers don't call it out. Why don't the organisers say there was a march adjacent to the the pro Palestine march? They were holding pro-Hamas signs. They were shouting jihad in the, you know, in the arrestable sense, mm. right? In the hateful sense. Mm. We do not align with their values. Why don't they call it out? It would be so much easier than go through the rigmarole of like pretending or deflecting and acting like it's not there. And you're basically then just, you know homogenizing both of the groups because there are there are earnest people on that march right you've got you know you've got teachers nurses doctors who are marching on that because they genuinely can't bear the thought of babies being killed in gaza right you know they don't like the idea of 3000 children being killed but on the flip side of that you've got you've got you know some like maybe 10 pro hamas guys condemn them mm -hmm. you know let, let, let teachers go on their nice little march mm. and tell them to Maybe fuck that's off. that's the difficulty as well of, like, say, the ones on Saturday, right, where it's, like, between three and 500,000 people showing up. That's not one group that's arranged for all those people to get there. Mm. And you then have the choice as someone who thought they were arranging a, a march of 5,000 people, putting your neck out and saying, mm. I don't condemn these these guys showing pro Hamas signs, you then have the opportunity to then go on TV, radio, wherever it might be, to be condemning people who you, who you ne were never associated with in the first place. So you're putting yourself in a very difficult situation to condemn people. Whilst you probably do so in your private life, to then have to say two, three weeks down the line, go on Piers Morgan and then have to have a debate with him on the merits of Palestine action when you were just, you know, like it, 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 the, the way the boulders rolls is just going to end up 
screwing you at the end. You know, it's Is never it, going to be a positive outcome for you if you were to come out and say, I, although you should, mm. I agree with you, you should come out and condemn Hamas if you're at one of these marches. No, but if you organize them, I'm if not you, saying yeah, that. Yeah, if you organize the march. But what I said, with it being between three and 500,000 people there, it's not one group that's arranging for all those people to be there. So if you are the there brave is, soul... There is an original group who is the organiser of the leaflets that went out and of the posters that were distributed over no, social media. No, but then media. more groups will get involved in it as well. So like say, it's not please just share. One Palestine please group. share. You, pro Hamas, you're not welcome at yeah. this march. Yeah, yeah, share yeah, yeah. that, you know? Mm -hmm. Because it, yeah. I think it just... I just think it dilutes the whole... It, it, it makes a mockery of the entire march if you've got someone up there with a, a pro Hamas sign, and you know that that's going to be the you know the Daily Mail front page, and quite right it should be because that is outrageous that someone is doing that in the capital city, and they're not being arrested for it. So condemn it, and then you can go on your march and mm -hmm. you can carry on with what you're looking for. You know. Yeah. Do you want to come in before I say something, Josh? No, I mean, yeah, I, I obviously agree with Ava. I would say perhaps the reason why. People don't want to come out um, and say that, you know, they condemn it or whatever is because I think, you know, big march, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, they don't know who these people are, right? They don't know who, what, how they signed up, what they got involved with. You know, if you saw one of the flyers that came from an original group that condemns it, you know, I don't know. It feels like it's people don't want to say it because it'll fracture the movement and it'll mm. reduce the, the whole solidarity mm -hmm. in the face of it. This is the unfortunate because the opponents of um, sort of Palestinian liberation and the Palestinian struggle, these moronic politicians who are describing these marches as hate marches and, um, you know, so, so sad to see this protest taking place because they are willfully misrepresenting the entire thing deliberately. It puts you in a unenviable, unenviable position of basically having to achieve ideological purity for a, a, an amorphous political political movement, mm -hmm. like any political movement, is splintered, contains factions, contains freaks, you know, people that you would normally, you wouldn't have to disavow yourself from because it would go without saying mm. that the people being like, yeah, the October 7th attack was justified. You, everyone would be like, well, obviously that person's a fucking nutter. Like that, that, that person, surely, of the, let, for the sake of argument, let's say it was half a million people who marched on Saturday, those half a million people do not think that the that the massacre and you know let's call it what it was a pogrom. They do not support that, right? They they clearly do not support that. There there aren't half a million people that think that. Unfortunately, there is also, and it needs stating, people who view Hamas as the sort of um, the militant wing of Palestinian liberation, and that their actions are justified. Now, again, as I've said previously. I think I, I'm actually generally broadly okay with limited, limited and proportional use of violence to achieve political ends. I am okay with that. But to sort of make that argument in light of what happened, I think is... Um, silly. Yeah, silly, distasteful, ugly, call it what you like. Yeah. Yeah. I just think, yeah. I mean, like, if, if you're going to have a movement that is anti-racist, right, mm -hmm. then you can't have this sort of passive sympathy with it so that when if you are you know look i went i went to the marches i went to the marches but equally if you see you know the star of david being painted onto a wall in paris that's your time to go that's disgusting that is that is not what i i i believe in that it's not why i am fighting for palestine to you know a ceasefire or whatever that's not why i'm arguing for it you should call it out. The anti-racism anti is not a movement unless it's all-encompassing, right? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
Uh, yeah, I agree. I, well, I, the only thing I will say is that, you know, I, while I wouldn't categorize them as, as hate marches, I do think in some contexts there is like an intimidatory factor to them. Um, I think, you know, maybe it's changed in the last few weeks, but I think the march that took place at the Israeli embassy on October, on the night of October 7th or October 8th, when it were, when it, immediately after the attacks before Israel started retaliating, where, you know, it was very much a sort of celebratory uh, mood. I would say that, you know, had elements of hate to it. Uh, do I think that, you know, 100,000 people walking down Whitehall uh, with Palestine flags are all hateful people? No, obviously not. But I think, you know, there was also rumors of a march that was going to happen in Golders Green last weekend, you know, in a specifically Jewish area. And so I think, you know, I support people's rights process. I think, you know, it's an absolutely perfect, you know, perfectly valid cause to, to, to march for. And I think Ava's right and that a lot of people are just doing this from sort of an earnest humanitarian point of view. Um, but I think... It's important to realize um, as Jews in this country, we are an incredibly small minority. You know, the amount of people, if it was 300,000, if it was 500,000 people, that's probably double or triple the amount of Jews in, in this entire country. Mm. Um, and so I think as a, as a population, we often feel like we're vastly outnumbered. And I think the thing that always gets me is that it always seems to be Israel that draws the biggest crowds, the biggest outrage. All roads lead to Israel, yeah. All roads lead to Israel. For people, for a certain type of person, the ultimate sin is Israel's existence. You know, like when Assad was, you know, chemical bombing his own people to the order of like hundreds of thousands, you did not have the same level of, you know, outcry. When, you know, there's like an ethnic conflict in Armenia and Azerbaijan, you do not have the same level of outcry. When you have like civil wars in Africa that are especially bloody and like ethnically based, you do not have the same level of, you know, outcry from general, nice, you know, normal nurses and teachers. And I think as Jews, people people feel like, why why are we a special case? Why do why does it Israel that gets the biggest crowds and the biggest and the most vitriol? and the most, you know, fringe elements joining. It, that's the only part that I think, um, you know, people are complaining about. Do you, Go on. Do you think that's anti-Semitism? Do you think, alternatively, do you think, alternatively, it's, it's so on the nose? It's so on the nose that a people that were persecuted, killed, exterminated are then, and I'm sorry, I want to be absolutely clear, I'm not drawing an equivalence between the Holocaust and the treatment of the Palestinian people. What I'm saying is, you know, the effective ghettoization of them in Gaza, hmm. the bombing of them in the way that they are, that people, go, that people see that and go, you should know better. Oof. No, in a, in a, in a short sentence, because um, I think conspiracy theories like to... Jews have two roles in conspiracy theories, right? Either we are globally domineering Zionist cabals that like to control everything, or we are like subhuman scum. Um, I think expecting a sort of moral superiority to Jews because we've been killed before is a little bit silly. I think Jews are people just like anyone else, you know, not to quote Shakespeare, but there's a whole thing about that. You should look it up. Um, and I think, you know, you can frame it like that. And I think that's, you know, your right to do so. But I think... I wasn't framing it like that. I was saying that. <laughs> Sounded like you were. No, sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure, but one could frame it like that. Yeah. Uh, one, Ollie. One, yeah. yeah. Um, Cancel me. <laughs> yeah. I think it's very, very different. And I, I don't think that um, Jews are like this special group that 
think, you know, should know better. I think if any country was attacked in the way that Israel has been, they would react in the same way. If, for example, there had been 20 simultaneous Ariana Grande Manchester Arena bombings on the same night, I think the hellfire that would rain down from this country would be absolutely insane. Uh, and it's done by France, by the way, who's just there. Um, and, you know, you're expected to live with France forever. Fine. Anyway, um, I think Israel is a country like any other that acts how any other country would act in this situation. Mm. We derailed the point there. Yeah. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I was just going to say something. I, I, I agree with you about that march in Golders Green. If there was going to be a march, that is hateful. Yeah. That is calculated, and that is that is that is being done to mm -hmm. yeah. That's being done to intimidate. Right. That would be mm. like if you. I mean, I used to live in Stoke Newington, and if you were going to do a pro-Palestine march through there on a Saturday morning, when you've got you know, kids walking synagogue. Yes, exactly. And you've got you know, all the Orthodox boys out and about. That's a hateful thing this, to do. This is the massive problem I have with, with all of this, right? Is that like, you know, Josh is not responsible for what's happening. Like the lads in the lads in Golders Green are not responsible for what's happening. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that most sensible people know that. Yeah. But it's it's about whether you vocalize it. This is what I'm arguing about the marches, right? So it doesn't matter if you see you're on the march and you see a sign that says, you know, Hamas was right, and you go, I would never think that. That's disgusting. Okay. Say it, mm. you know, use your words mm. because you're on a march saying something. So call that out as well. Yeah. But I mean, what I would just add is that like, yeah, I think majority of sensible free thinking people know that Jews aren't responsible to that. But I think the people who are the biggest problem, AKA your sort of Dagestani type hate mobs, uh, not that's a problem in this country, but I think for them, there is no distinction, right? To an anti-Semite, they don't care if I voted against Netanyahu in every election. You know, they, Hamas didn't give a shit that, you know, the people at the peace protest, you know, some of them used to drive Gazans to the hospital in Israel. They don't care about that, right? Mm -hmm. So I think people that really hate Jews really hate Jews, um, regardless of how connected they are to Israel. Anything to add, Sean? No, nothing. Should we draw, should we draw a line under it there? Yeah. Another line drawn. Another line drawn. Yeah. Sean, uh, Magic Ed. Sean, maybe that's your nickname. Magic Ed. Magic Ed. <laughs> I don't think we got enough out of Sean. Should we just suddenly ask him a just whole slew of questions? <laughs> Sean, how would you find peace? Sean, <laughs> Sean, Sean, why have you not condemned Hamas's action? This two-state solution. Yeah. Go on. Give, I'm us, not, I'm give not. us your two. Give us your two. Give us your view on the two-state. Just a line straight down the middle. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bang on. Bang really? Bridge from Gaza to the other side for a week. <laughs> and then straight down the middle. And yeah. then what? The, the sausage alignment agreement we have to bring in. <laughs> yeah. Just like the old, just like. Exactly. Uh, just like Northern Ireland. Yeah. We had a really long discussion earlier, Sean and I, about whether you have to pay if you've got a uk bank card you have to pay extra to get your euros out in the republic <laughs> really long conversation that we could have resolved just by googling it but we still haven't so nice. if you'd like to tell us on the reddit yeah let us know on the let reddit us know. <laughs> wonderful um see you in the reddit for good faith discussion oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, and always a handful of memes until next time thank you very much for watching we'll see you then Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.